I mean, what's Pro Football Focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Sam Monson here as ever. No Steve still. He's on a beach in Massachusetts or something. I'm not actually sure where he is on vacation, but something like that. So we drafted in the great Anthony Tresh. Welcome to the show. I actually dethroned Steve. Yeah. I took over a seat. You did. He's not coming back, guys. No, Wally Pipped. Wally Pipped by Tresh yeah. right here on the show. That kind of does sound enjoyable, though, the beach in Massachusetts right now. Yeah. So we're, I mean... He'll actually get a seat back because I'm out of here the next show, um, next week. Where are you going? So we're heading down to Florida um, for a vacation with the family. But that's very hot right now. Yeah. Very hot. To the point where, like, even the water isn't really helping. You know what I mean? Like, the sea is warm. Like, yeah. that kind of thing. Whereas, at least in Massachusetts, the water is cold. It's the Atlantic, right? It's, like, straight into the... It's straight off, like, a sh- continental shelf and into, like, cold water. So you're fine. You can just get in the water, and it's not that hot. Whereas Florida right now is pretty pretty warm, pretty baking hot. I mean, either way, it's better than Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati more than anybody else here, I would say, but <laughs> it is horrendous right now. It's just so muggy. I mean, if I walk into the office, i got to bring another shirt. Yeah, it's right. I'm sweating through it, and I'm not a sweater. But no, it's bad, it's, it's bad, and it's like it's before the last couple of days where we got rain, it was like dry as well. So it was barbecuing anything on the ground. Like, you had plants growing, not anymore, all that kind of stuff. Just, this is actually a weather podcast. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it's a good start. We're talking weather. We're talking weather. Um, let's get some housekeeping out of the way, though, because we've been running this thing for the last uh, few shows that we really like the idea of, which is listeners essentially telling us where they're wrong and betting oh, that something is going to happen over the course of the season. And we're going to have a running tally of, like, listeners versus the show of bets that are going to take place. So the couple that we had out so far... Um, one guy nailed it. A guy called Jake Peters had this perfect plan of gave us the bet, gave us the terms. Beautiful. So he said that the Patriots draft essentially is being hated on way more than it should be. And his proof is that he thinks that the top three picks for the Patriots will add more war this season than the top three picks from the Ravens, excluding uh, David Ajabo, who will be you know redshirted and won't count. So their top three picks, he thinks that the Patriots will actually have more success this year. By PFF war, which I think is a really fair way of doing it because it's not just, you know, playing time, right? It's like those guys will actually be better this year than the Ravens' top three. Um, So I like that. That's one we accepted. We had another one that said Jalen Hurts will have the highest PFF passing grade, we've altered it to, of any qualifying NFC East quarterback 2022. So he'll have the best passing grade of any of those guys. Good bet. And then the one that I want to accept on behalf of Steve, you can let me, you can be part of this. A guy called Jake Botticello, I think. Bill's offensive line, we're hating on them too much. Where was his exact email? Um, he says, Sam, Steve, I think you guys are grossly underrating the Bill's offensive line. I bet 
They're in the top five PFF graded offensive lines this year. So there's the official wager up on the YouTube show. Uh, look at that, our own seal. Wax seal we've got. Dude, Steve looks like a like he's an 80-year-old professor. The beard, yeah, the beard, I'm not sure it does him too much. I don't think it helps too much with the uh, the silhouette, the old, the old Steve beard. But anyway, that's our seal. So Bills will have a top five offensive line in PFF grade in 2022. What do you think? Oh, so I mean, I gotta. I want to start at the top first because at first I, I saw this on Twitter, the Patriots one, and I was like, "Oh, this guy's crazy." Yeah. But then I started thinking about it, and I was like, "Actually, he might be onto something here." I think long term, I love what the Ravens did, and I think what New England did is going to come back to bite him. But I mean, just knowing how this metric works, I think those guys in New England are going to get more opportunity, and I think. I love Tyler Linderbaum, but I think he's going to struggle because this is completely a different offensive system for him to learn. And, you know, just with the play strength issues, I think that could maybe drop him down a little bit. Maybe Cam Jurgens, he's thrown in there. He succeeds. I don't know. It's interesting. Going to this one, though, um, what was his name? Uh, Jake Botticello for the Jake Bills Botticello. I love that off that last name. It sounds Italian. Um, I assume it is, which is why I'm pronouncing it that way. If it isn't, then I'm just butchering a surname. He should change it and start pronouncing it Botticello. Um, Jake, I I love you, but I think you're crazy. <laughs> um, this interior is what really, really scares Even right tackle, Spencer Brown, I mean, he struggled last year as a rookie. He was objectively not good. And Roger Saffold... I think he was one of the better guards over the last decade, excluding last year. Last year's where everything kind of came crumbling down for him, and his age started to show. I mean, a lot of injuries. Like he's a lot of wear on the, a lot of miles on the clock for him. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think he's going to really hold up there. I think, yeah, week one they get Los Angeles. Aaron Donald against Roger Saffold. Yeah, Aaron Donald's going to. Yeah, I don't need to say. I don't need to elaborate on that. You know what he's going to do to that interior. Um, And then right tackle again, Spencer Brown. I I think this is going to be – I think this is more likely to be a bottom five-graded unit than a top five. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I I think it lands in the middle, which has been the the whole point. I I mean, I think the Bills would be shocked if their offensive line was a top five-graded unit at PFF. Like, I don't think they've – I think they've deliberately not allocated that kind of resource to the offensive line because they – they know what we've been preaching for ages, which is you just want an average offensive line across the board. Like we had Jeff Schwartz on the last show, same thing, right? Just get five guys that don't suck, mm-hmm. and then you're in, you're in good shape. I think that's kind of what the Bills have been trying to do when they've assembled this offensive line, when they brought in the depth. Like they haven't gone after superstars. They've just tried to find five guys that are okay. And I think that's a good approach, but it means you're – by definition, you're an average group, right? So you're probably ranking like 15, 16, 17 in the league. And then depending on whether you get good years out of those guys or bad years out of those guys, that's going to determine how far outside of that like dead smack middle range you're going to be. And the problem is you look at the starting five, three of the five have really, really low floors. Right. Like concerning floors. We talked about Saffold. We talked about Spencer Brown. Ryan Bates, right guard, he has, what, like six career starts to his name over, like, four years? I mean, he does not have ample starting experience to him. Now, granted, it was okay when he was on the field, right? I mean, that Chicago wanted him right. Um, Buffalo ended up bringing him back on the qualifying offer. But, I mean, there's just – you can't comfortably say Ryan Bates is going to be a good average guard just given <laughs> what, what he's done throughout his career, which is largely nothing. And, again, the other uh, couple other spots, that's where I'm, like, very cautious to say I'm, I'm – really i would invest i'm not you know buying stock in the bills offensive line like jake is um but hopefully jake's right what's the what's the bet here so it's not there's 
there's no terms yet in terms of what people win. There's one guy actually that that offered a um, hundred dollars to a charity of our choice if he wins, and we we give a hundred dollars to St. Jude's if uh, if um, if he wins. Sorry, and if we win, we get we get the hundred dollars to our charity. So there are people offering terms, but this is there's no there's no necessary you know wager. It's just like I think you guys are full of it, and then if they win, we'll we'll give out some prizes and stuff. I have an idea. Oh yeah. I like the charity. That's mm-hmm. always good. I think you should do that. But then on top of it, for this one, since Steve isn't here, maybe we kind of sweeten the deal for Jake. Maybe, say, if the Bills have the, the highest-graded offensive line, Steve has to get the Aaron Rodgers tattoo. <laughs> the Aaron Rodgers tattoo would be good. I mean, I think he could support it. I mean, I don't... I, kind of want to sign him up for it since he's not here but that's just the thought just yeah, something to look at that there head. we go so one thing i want to make clear this is a perfect one because we think this guy's crazy so it's a great bet right we are all too happy to take that there are other ones that we've had um thrown in and it's, if you're sending us an idea for a bet fire us an email to nfl podcast at pff.com you can find us on twitter as well at pff nfl pod um, let us know what the bet is. If you're sending the email, put bet or wager in the, the subject line so Stone doesn't get upset trying to trawl through all of our emails and find them. Um, and then we're going to open up this Google sheet that we have for, so people can kind of see and track them as the season goes. Um, but there's one guy, for example, a guy called JT Villani, who says Jalen Waddle will have a higher PFF grade than Devontae Smith. Now, we're not going to take that bet because it's entirely plausible, right? Mm-hmm. It could go either way. Those guys, those guys both graded well. I think Devontae Smith has a good year this year because of A.J. Brown showing up, and you know right. it's prime for him to be better this season. Um, I mean, it seems like a pretty fair – I mean, that's even – But that's the thing, right? It's like money. even money. Yeah. So we're not taking that bet, right? Yeah. We only want bets where, like, we think – You guys are getting the better deal. Well, not even the better deal, but, like, we, we are adamant about something, and the listeners think we're full of it. That's okay. the point, right? Okay. If you, you think we're crazy because of what we've been saying – then hit us up with a bet that like takes the opposite stance or take you know is is way apart from what we've been saying. The point about the Waddle versus Smith thing, it's like yeah, I might think that Devontae Smith has a higher grade, but would it surprise me if it went the other way? No, so right. I'm not going to bet on it. I, I need you know it needs to be a hard and fast thing. So we're definitely taking the one from Jake. I think we're we're ignoring or declining uh, the one from. J- JT, what's his name? J- I kind of want to get in JT here. I want, I want some bets. I want to play some bets. I mean, you can My, you my last out. one I publicly did with PFF didn't go so well. No, you had to get dunked in, was it butter? Melted butter. Yeah. It was horrendous. I, I took a shower in the sink over there. <laughs> so what I wanted to, I never actually I followed up on this, but I, that terrible idea, right? Yeah. Awful, awful idea. And even, you know, as somebody that's been doing the charity stuff and we've been doing forfeits and that kind of thing, we've done some pretty stupid things, right? I had to dress up as Jackson Mahomes and do a TikTok dance, right? <laughs> Unpleasant, but it lasted like eight seconds, right? And then you're done. Plus the, you know, perpetual shame of that being in existence on the internet and that kind of thing. But yeah, look, there you go. So, but once it's done, it's done, right? And you can get out of there and you don't have to do it again. You, the, the butter thing... So it's immediately unpleasant having a thing of butter dunked on you. But I would imagine the next 12 hours are worse yep. because that's not coming out. Like that's no. not immediate. You're not washing that out immediately. It's a, like, that's a nightmare. It's seven showers, <laughs> cleaning the floors. The worst mistake too, like as being the, like a college guy, like I have to ride after the national championship game. I did this right before kickoff. Yeah. I just got out of the sink shower. 
right when they're kicking <laughs> like, off. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm all greasy, I'm slimy. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just literally the entire game. The, I think the first three quarters, I watched on my phone in the shower because I just had to keep <laughs> washing off. And then I wrote an article and then I went to bed. And I was like, damn, I still smell like butter. Were you like making yourself hungry? With the smell of butter? I hate butter. That's the thing. <laughs> I despise butter. I do not like butter at all whatsoever. So it was, um, yeah, I really thought I was going to win. What was the bet? Um, it was Alabama so, yeah. winning by something, right? It was, it was a, the, spread the spread with Eric. It was the spread of the Cincinnati-Alabama yeah. game. And he straight up told me, he's like, honestly, you're on the right side. Because I bet Cincinnati, they didn't, they didn't cover. Yeah. Bama covered. And I got dunked in butter right here in this lovely studio. That's just such a terrible idea of a thing to, to yeah. bet. I'm not going to do it again. No. But, I, I mean, I say that, and if you get me up here in the right mood and I'm having a couple energy drinks in me, I might do it. Right. Yeah. Just terrible. Anyway, so <laughs> you did that. Aaron Rodgers, yeah, we're not going to talk. So big news we're, that we're kind of not going to cover, right? Baker Mayfield got traded to the Carolina Panthers. We have talked kind of ad nauseum about Baker Mayfield and that whole deal. And I don't think it's worth rehashing with you here as a different voice. You know what I mean? Right. We've, we've hit it. We've hit it from every angle. We're all on the same page. Right. Everybody thinks, you know, it's a cheap deal. The Baker Mayfield hate is getting out of control, blah, blah, blah. So that, and plus at this point, when this podcast is going out, um, it happened a while ago. So we're not going to hit that. Another thing that happened a few days ago, but I think is worth covering anyway, is Aaron Rodgers apparently got his first tattoo. As Tyler threw up on the screen there, showed. I, I have no idea what it means, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's kind of kick-ass. I like it. So it, it's kind of cool looking, but the memes about it, I think, are funny. Um, you know, and some the, the first one I saw, who did this come? Was it Kyle Madsen who tweeted something like, um, tattoo artist, what do you want to do today? Aaron Rodgers, have you ever heard Kyrie Irving talk? artists say no more fam like that, that perfect right that kind of sums up that tattoo and that it's almost certainly coming from somebody that you know drinks a lot of like kombucha yeah kombucha club. yeah 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 or like matcha tea you, or, know, you know what kind of comes into my mind that was this, this was the first thing i thought about because i was like writing something about college football thought about the lions and i thought this was very interesting it's like what if you put college football mascots in there like what if quinn ewers gets that but it's bevo on that <laughs> side where like you get a guy in there you get like a game cock yeah i think that could you could that could be a bet if texas wins the national title someone's got to get that tattoo but with bevo in there. i don't think you want a tattoo where it takes like 10 minutes to explain it to somebody you know that's true because that's like a conversation right like that every element of that is a thing and there's a story and there's you know there's a book that he read not a book there's an article that he read from some debunked website and you know what i mean like the whole yeah. thing is a narrative right it's going to take it's kind of scary actually when you say that you have you have any tattoos no so here's my philosophy i love tattoos but if i'm going to get one i'm going all or nothing like i'm getting a sleeve oh it's like a full yeah. okay but i'm not going to do it unless i ever get to the point where it's like I'm just going to commit to like just getting jacked and then just looking scary. And then so, it's like, you might as well just get the full sleeve, man. But that's my, uh, one. my brother, my parents don't like tattoos. So none of us had them for years. And then my brother, oh, I wanted a tattoo for years. Wouldn't get one. Cause like, you know, his parents would see and he'd get in trouble. And then like did the same thing. Went from like nothing to have this like monster chest piece, right? This like takes up literally like the entirety of his front and looked a lot like the Aaron Rodgers thing, right? It's insane looking thing. And I didn't tell our parents. 
But he would like, you know, take Facebook photos or whatever, like throw a picture up on social media and you'd like see it popping out of the top of his T-shirt. I'm like, you can't. If you want them to, to not know, you can't put that photo up. They're going to see that. Like, they're not How'd idiots. they find out? I mean, they saw one of those photos eventually. It was like, what the hell is that? He was like, oh, it's just this giant chest piece <laughs> tattoo that I have. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> and then, you know, eventually they didn't like lose their mind or whatever. So now he has a bunch of tattoos. Um, I was telling Tyler that I don't have any either, but it's not same kind of thing. I like tattoos, but... I haven't found anything that I like to the point where I think in 15 years, I'll still like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's cool, but I don't know if I want it on me forever. Like, I'm pretty sure in 10, like you think back 10 years to when you were like three, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't like the same things, you know, you don't like Paw Patrol anymore or whatever it was you were into back in the day. That's true. Like I would have got Tommy Pickles from Rugrats probably. Yeah. Like same thing. I don't know. Whatever I was real thought was awesome 10 years ago it's probably not what i think is awesome now i if i had a tattoo of it on me i think that would annoy me yeah that's always a scary thought for me like again i love them but i'm 23 and it's like if i'm your age it's like 53 <laughs> like am i gonna like this i don't know and that's a, just a big investment beyond the price tag but i love them it's art that one is interesting um I like it. I actually, I don't know if I like it anymore after talking. Okay. About it. It's I mean, scary. My main question was, do you think it contains enough like black magic incantations to, to make Green Bay win a Super Bowl this year? Ooh. I think it helps the vibes like Aaron Rodgers' aura. You okay. Know? I think there's something about it where he's clearly put a lot of thought into this. Yeah. So maybe it's just like, I don't know. Has he put too much thought into it? Like, you know, when he Can we been? measure that? Like PFF tats? I don't know. Tat to like you know, time in the playbook ratio. I don't know. That's interesting. I kind of like Green Bay, though. I do, just in general. Even though they have no receivers. They got they drafted two. They drafted two, Christian right. Watson and uh, they did. Romeo Dubs. They did, but Watson, I think, is a very limited skill set type of player for somebody that – because it's not like they don't – it's not like they just need a receiver, right? Yeah. They need to replace Devontae Adams. Like, like this is a bad receiving core – this was an average receiving core with Devontae Adams, yeah. who's been the best receiver in the NFL for the last couple of years. Now you take Devontae Adams off it, and it's like, oh, no. I mean, so you need to replace one of the best receivers in the league. I mean, that guy was the entire – what was that game last year? Was it Sunday Night Football when – um, shoot, who was that against? But Devontae got hurt. He, he had a – I think he got a concussion. He came back in. And he, his target rate for the game, I think he had half the targets for the game. Yeah. Like, he, mean, was, like he was the offense. I mean, he can't, what he can do is nobody else can do in the NFL, in my opinion. He, like, he's the best receiver in the NFL. Yeah. And, and the, I think that's kind of, there's an irreplaceable sense to that. Now, is there ways to work around that? The reason why I think I kind of like him is the defense. Is yeah. It? Because if you can get like that one year, you know, where it's like in a truly elite group, number one in the entire league, yeah, they are in Rodgers. Maybe these rookies step up. I think there's a plausible way to think that they could possibly finally make it back. But even game. so, you know, you look at the, there's a lot of receivers in recent years have hit the ground running as rookies, right, and been really good. So obviously Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, these guys are like dominant. They're two of the five best receivers in the NFL already after two years and one year respectively. I mean, that doesn't feel like it's even within Christian Watson's range of outcomes. Like, he's yeah. not, he doesn't have the complete skill set that allows him to be that player. He's big, he's fast, he's good in a straight line, linear kind of athlete. The dude ran a really Spartan route tree in college in an offense that wasn't pass heavy, 
doesn't have good ball yeah. skills. Like there's a lot, there's a lot to not like for a quarterback who like relies on trust with receivers. So I'm the only one in PFF headquarters that spoke for Christian Watson. Okay. People like you, everybody uh-huh. hates on him. I don't know. Just saying, I like him. there's a lot wrong with this guy as so, a prospect. I agree. So this was the thing. So I am a sicko. I watch a lot of college football. Mm-hmm. I watch North Dakota State football <laughs> with Eric Eager too. Um, I like FCS, and I watched him early in the year. I, I knew who of him. I, was, I wasn't too fond of him at the time. But then I went down to Mobile for the Senior Bowl, and that guy opened up my eyes. I was like, who the heck is this? Like, what, what happened to the Christian Watson I knew? And then I started to kind of dig deeper into, like, the latter half of the season. And you started to see some growth there, you know, from with his ball skills. They got, it was, he had some disgusting misses earlier. Yeah. But it got better because at Mobile, I was like, is this the same? I mean, it looked completely different, 180. And you could see the growth throughout the season. And even from a route running perspective, I thought his releases, too, when he did get that opportunity – that, I was really impressed with the growth, and that made me confident. It's like, well, if you get him, you know, at the NFL level, outside of this, you know, kind of gimmicky offense, the college offense that you just don't see at the NFL level, I think we could possibly see something. And, you know, again, it's kind of hard to evaluate someone that comes from that type of offense where, you know, a lot of the action he is getting is just kind of like scheme touches. But I think that also gives him a pretty high floor right away just because of his athletic ability and just the need to like find people to make plays in that offense yeah. so they can give him some seam touches. I think with, I mean, this guy had an unprecedented combine. I think it was probably the best combine of the last few years. I mean, so I, I agree that it, I think his potential is quite high. My, my thing is more like, I just don't see year one him having success because the, like the biggest hurdle I think he has is developing any kind of trust with Aaron Rodgers. Like, that's been one of the biggest issues with when you take away Rogers' number one receiver, things don't generally go well. And part of that is because he doesn't trust anybody else. Like when you look at how much of Devonte Adams' success is Rogers looking up at the line, seeing one-on-one coverage, and it's just an auto target, right? The ball is going that way. And oftentimes it's going that way on a back shoulder and the, the synchronicity between the two of them is perfect. So it's a, it's a catch. The only other guy he's had in recent years where he even trusts him the same or a similar way is Lazard, who just isn't that good. Right. But like Lazard gets those targets as well, where if he looks up one-on-one coverage, boom, Lazard will get a target. I just, I don't see him developing that with Christian Watson in a few weeks. So, and I don't, so you've got Watson, probably not going to get that. You've got Sammy Watkins, like the last time Sammy Watkins was like intact, you know, and healthy years. The solar being. Yeah. like it's The just, reptile solar being. That's just not happening either, right? Um, like you just look, you go through the list. Lazard, we already talked about, just isn't that good. Um, Randall Cobb doesn't have that in his range of outcomes. Like Romeo Dubs, to me, is actually the guy who, interestingly, could steal a march on everybody. And like, I think Lazard starts the season as their number one receiver almost by default, right? He's got the leg up. He's got the advantage. He's the only guy Rodgers trusts. But at some point, you're going to stop feeding him 20 targets a game because he's going to get like 45 yards out of that. So you're going to start looking for other people. And I could see Dubs being the guy he turns to. I bet Dubs is better than... I don't want to say better. I bet he's more productive than NVS was for him. I, yeah, I could as see a that. rookie. I, I mean, mean I, I could see... I think 
Watson might actually be the kind of the MVS role in that offense, like the, almost the designated deep threat of the dude who just goes, mm-hmm. like, just run a straight line downfield. And if I need it, I'll throw the ball your way. I mean, Dubs is also good. I mean, he Dubs, I think, actually tied for the most deep receiving touchdown. Right, the last but, I, but of he's years. got, like, he, even in just in terms of, like, what he was doing in college, ran a much more nuanced, complete yeah. route tree. Right. Whereas, like, if, if developing Christian Watson is a, is a process, like, you can send him out there, like, right now and just say, you know, just give him the Valdez-Scantling role and say, go deep. If I need to heave the ball in your direction, look out for it. But, like, right. you know, that's your role here. So, going back to what I said at the beginning. So, what kind of sparked this is I was just kind of perusing the betting odds. And I noticed, which kind of surprised me, Green Bay had the number two odds just ahead of the Rams, defending Super Bowl champions, to win the NFC. It was Tampa, um, Green Bay, and then Los Angeles. Um and that kind of sparked some things in my head. It's like, well, they lost the best receiver in the NFL. They had the second most efficient offense in the NFL last year. I think they're going to take a little bit of a step back. But you look at that defense, there's a lot to like on that defense. Yeah. And, again, we've seen these teams that do have that true number one elite defense. They don't even have an offense sometimes. But they just get by with that defense. I think this group kind of has, you know, the – I mean, they have the full recipe, all the ingredients to – kind of be that special group that kind of helps out the offense now I still think this offense will probably have to be like a 75th percentile or better finish in terms of like just offensive efficiency on a per play basis throughout the season to really get to the big game if even if you have an elite defense just with the way the NFL is right now but I think the offense can still do that so that's why I kind of like Green Bay they're in a weak division um I don't know they're interesting to me Aaron Rodgers is an interesting dude we all know that um but I think the team in general could be one of the best. And I think, I mean, getting back a healthy Jair Alexander, I mean, that was sure. last year that cornerback group really stepped up. I mean, Eric Stokes, he shocked me. I did not think he would be even producing at that level like years down the road in yeah. his NFL career, and he was still very good. Um, you know, Russell Douglas, everybody knows, that was a surprise. You know, pick, picked him up off her practice squad, become a big player. Um, I'm curious to see how he's going to do in the slot this year. But getting back a healthy Jair Alexander, I so if you go to pff.com, look at our cornerback rankings, our outside cornerback rankings, there's an interesting heat map in there from the 2020 Green Bay Packers. And you can see just how much Jair Alexander just shut down his side of the field. I mean, it was you don't really typically see that at the NFL level, cornerback doing that. It was no team was going that way because they knew who was over there. So, you know, I, I think if you can get that core healthy, I mean, they like I said, they have the, the fixings to be one of those special groups. And that's why... I, I kind of like them. I, again, I was surprised at first to see their second um, to win the NFC ahead of the Rams. Um, but I, I'm kind of buying them now. Yikes. Um, I mean, I just think I think that wide receiver group might be too bad for them to win. Really? The Super Bowl. So what, what would your order be in the NFC? Powering. You powering the I did. NFC. Uh, Tampa Bay was definitely first in the NFC. Yep. Uh, where are my power rankings? Let's pull them up so I can remember what. Somebody actually asked me that. Who I think I'm going to win the Super Bowl. I can't pick against Tom Brady in the Bucks. Well, you can like it's always that's your starting point, right? Yeah. Like Tom Brady, it's one last out. go. You know, forty-five. Yeah. What the hell? I mean, this is what like this is what they were making, right? Everyone's yeah. going to be like, "Oh, the NFL's fixed. Tom Brady wins another one." But so, it's like, no, he's just he's the best. I had Tampa Bay number. Tampa Bay is number one in the NFC. The Rams were number two. Uh, where's my name? Green Bay, number three. Um, San Francisco, number four. And all the way down at 
12 overall, but five in the NFC is Dallas. Dallas and Philadelphia are right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about San Francisco? Sure. Uh, but let's finish the Green Bay thing okay. first. I just think, so that wide receiver group to me just looks too bad. Like, I don't, I don't think you can win a Super Bowl with a group that's that bad on paper. Unless, like, obviously, you know, somebody steps up and does something completely different than it looks likely. Watson maybe dominates as a rookie. Sammy Watkins turns back the clock. Whatever it is. Like, unless one of those guys shows something way different than it seems likely. Like, the last time Rodgers had a group this bad was 2015 when Jordy Nelson went down the preseason and all of a sudden there's nobody left, right? And that was the worst PFF grade of Rodgers' career. And it was 15 points worse than either season, either side of it. So even like, oh, well, he's back-to-back MVPs right now. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. He was a 90 grade the year before, no Jordy Nelson, 74 or whatever it was, and then 90 the next year when he's back. So I think the wide receiver group's too bad. The other thing with the defense, I think you're right. Like that defense has the ability to maybe go on that kind of run where it looks like one of those all-time great ones. But most of those all-time great defenses did not play in the NFL that looks like we're about to get this year, where there's so many just absurd-looking offenses. Like, you, you know, put the 2000 Baltimore Ravens defense in today's NFL. How many off? Like, does the Chiefs go out there and just shred them? To, like, does, like, can they deal with Josh Allen on a good day? Like, I don't know if the Ra- I don't know if the Broncos, you know, whatever that was, 2015, the Seahawks. I don't know if those great defenses. I mean, they're going to be great, but I don't know if it makes the same kind of difference that it did in a year where, like, there weren't that many good teams. So they're extinct. They're like dinosaurs. They're just never going to come back. Like, no, maybe never... not extinct, but, maybe. like, I just think we are talking about a different NFL than usual. And the impact sure. of, like, a really good defense this year might not be what it usually is. I, that's a fair take. But I also look at the NFC North, and it's bad. I, I'm, like, I, don't, I know, like, the restore the roar a lot in the football community – um, spearheaded by our own Eric Eager. Mm. Love the Detroit Lions. I personally think they're probably going to be kind of bad again. <laughs> Shocking, I know. The Bears, I mean, don't need to elaborate on that. The Vikings, we'll see. I mean, maybe Kevin O'Connell like sparks something there. But odds are, Kirk's going to be Kirk, and they're going to be a middling team once again. So, I don't know. They're, they have, like... This, I think they have the favorable division to kind of help them get sure. there. Sure. I mean, I think they're a likely playoff team. I just think, oh, I mean, yeah. likely playoff ha- team. Which they have of been course. for years, right? Yeah. But the whole point with Green Bay and with Rodgers getting up in years is like, are we, are we in a position to win that next ring? And yeah. I don't think that's likely given what we're looking at. I don't think they're going to win a ring. Yeah. I would, I would be, honestly, I would be shocked if they won. But I wouldn't be shocked if they got there. Right. That's kind of where I'm at. Okay. I mean, in my power rankings, so I, we tiered them as well, right? And I had the first group of, of teams was like true contenders, you know, like legitimate Super Bowl sort of favorites, guys that you would expect to be challenging for that. And the next tier down is like, I mean, it could be their year. Like, they could win one. And Green Bay is at the top of that tier. I don't think that they're in that tier with Buffalo and Tampa Bay and the Rams of like, you expect those teams to be there at the real like in the championship games i don't i think green bay feels like a step behind that yeah i mean i'm trying to think like the last team that kind of had a run like that i think they could possibly have like a san francisco in 2019 where the offense was good like jimmy g obviously wasn't great but like the offense was efficient enough to the point where like it wasn't an issue it was a good group but the defense really carried them to getting to the super bowl i think this kind of team has that type of recipe it's kind of where yeah I'm i think that's true i just think that the league is different now than it was then 2019 yeah i mean look at it dude let's look at what happened this off season like 
this offseason alone, the amount of like concentration of talent from like not great teams to great teams, they all went in one direction. Like, you know, the amount of teams that really loaded up and tried to get better this year. I think we just sort of split the league into like these contending teams and teams that are going to be pretty bad. And those contending, a lot of those contending teams are in the AFC. Right. Outside of the Packers' way. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing in their favor is that they're in the easier conference, right? And, okay, they've still got Tampa Bay and the Rams, but, like, it's a hell of a lot better than it is in the AFC where a team like Miami that went on that crazy, you know, uh, arms race run still might not make the playoffs. Um, All right, we want to talk about San Francisco, but first we want to talk about the best place to play fantasy football this summer – Underdog Fantasy. Their Best Ball Mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is, you just draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. No waivers, no trades, no in-season management, none of that stuff that I forget about after, you know, a week, and therefore my team stinks. You just draft. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season, and the highest score at the end of the year wins. The champion of Best Ball Mania last year drafted in June We're in July already, so there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. So that helps out everybody. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with the code PFF, and draft your Best Ball Mania team today at standing deal um all right 49ers who might be stuck with jimmy garoppolo now that the baker mayfield trade has gone down and that leaves like the only team needing a quarterback seattle in the division so they're not trading him there yeah so i don't think i, I think jimmy g is going to get the axe to cut him i think they're kind of they're going to cut him and bearing so here's the thing I think right now where San Francisco is and where the, really the entire league is because like there's no market for him. Nobody's like going out of their way to be like, I need this guy on my team. Do you think team. Seattle are interested in him, but no, there's no chance of him being traded? Like if you're, right. are, are Seattle actually intrigued? Like if he gets cut tomorrow, is he signing with Seattle the next day? I think so. I, I, if I think that's, that's true, a plausible thing. If that's true and you're the 49ers, should you not trade him with, to the Seahawks? I don't. I think they won't. I don't think that's. But do you think they should? I agree that I don't think it's happening. But this, I got this crap with the Baker Mayfield thing as well. It it wasn't going to happen. But I honestly think the best thing for both Baker Mayfield and the Browns was for him to stay in Cleveland for the year if Watson's going to get suspended all season and like just live through the spite and play well. And it works out for him. Works out for the Browns. For the Forty Niners, I agree, are not going to trade Jimmy G to the Seahawks. I I think that's. But should they? I think that's more about Seattle's probably not offering because they know because they know they won't. And, and I think things could change. So if for some reason, hopefully this doesn't happen, you never want to root for this to happen. But if someone, some team starter goes down with an injury in the training camp or something, right in the preseason, their starter goes down, they're hurt. Now they need a new quarterback. Then I think that's when you see the Jimmy G market start to heat up. And maybe Seattle's like, okay, well, if we want to kind of make a move here, then we need to up an offer or something. But then San Francisco is going to say, you know, kick rocks. We're going to go take this other team, send them out of the division. But more than likely... The problem is there's nobody... They're not going to be able to... The, the, the issue they have is, is that they don't want to trade him to a division rival. But the thing that's most likely to happen if they cut him is he's going to go to that division rival anyway. So you might as well get something out of it. 
Yeah, but they're not going to want to give them anything. That's the thing. Like Seattle. Yeah, Seattle's not going to. Just knowing how they operate, I think they're pretty comfortable with Geno and Drew Locke, which, God. you know, power to them. I, I, you know, don't stop believing, but let's be real. They're not, really not that good. But there's always value in getting it, you know, knowing that you don't have to go through a competition of, you know, maybe somebody gives them an enticing, like New Orleans, right? I'm, maybe not New Orleans, but somebody gives them a job that like, okay, you're not starting, but there's a big chance that like next year you could be in with the gig or... You know what I mean? Somebody throws enough money at him as a backup that it's an intriguing place for him to go. It's just it's not nailed on that he goes to Seattle. Whereas if they trade for him, even if it's like a low-round pick, it's done. You've got him. That's fair. I mean, it's it's an interesting situation. I still think, like, if I had to place a wager on what I think is going to happen, I think they're going to go up to the wire because they can save some money if they cut him before the start of the season. Yeah, week one. Yeah, as soon as week one hits, that changes. So I think they're going to wait till the last second, wait to see if anything pops up. If an injury occurs, then they're going to be chomping at the bit, calling him like, hey, you want him? And they're probably like, yeah, we want Jimmy G. But I think more than likely he's probably going to get the ax um, right before the start of week one. And then maybe we'll see what happens. That's when it gets interesting because what team's going to want to take on a quarterback right before the start of the season? Yeah. And it's not like a – Jimmy G's not like, you know, the next great thing. So I tell a lie. There is – that's the other advantage – for the 49ers dragging this out to the wire is that they play Seattle in week two. And if they if he's signing with Seattle anyway, if you only give him two weeks to learn the playbook, that's better than if you had training camp and two and preseason and two weeks to learn the playbook. So right. it does benefit San Francisco a little bit for one game if they drag this out that long. Um, but to me, like, okay, generally speaking, you don't want to trade a player within the division because you don't want to make your division rivals better. But I would say to the 49ers that you stick with your own evaluation. Like you had a quarterback that took you essentially a couple of plays away from a Super Bowl. And you decided that despite having that guy locked up on a, under contract for a while, that you were going to trade three first round draft picks to go get his replacement. You didn't need to do any of that, right? So you obviously thought that whether it's play quality or injury history you know the chance of him actually playing over an extended period of time you went out there and said not only do we want to think about moving on from this guy like we are going to move heaven and earth to get the next guy in right now if you think that little of jimmy g like the last year shouldn't have changed anything right it's not like he went out there and balled out to the point where you're like oh we got this wrong so still stick with that opinion that if he goes to make Seattle to play with Seattle okay he's probably not going to last the whole season he's Jimmy G he'll get hurt and even if he does that roster stinks he's not going to be that good we shouldn't fear this like we should not be scared of Jimmy G coming back to haunt us twice a year we should like stick with our evaluation of him yeah that's where like you see some of those reports kind of floating around it's like well Jimmy G might stay with the team he could you know maybe he's starting for a little bit and it's like now this is Trey Lance's team, and I, again, like I would be shocked if he's on the roster week one. Just I mean, given the finances, yeah. And just given like two, you don't want that overhanging because that's just going to be the topic with the 49ers. It doesn't matter what they do in week one or week two, and if Trey Lance struggles out the gate, yeah. there's a high probability he does. You don't want that. Like, oh, is Jimmy going to start? Is he going to take over for Lance type of thing? So, I, I mean, he's going to be off the team, I think, by week one. Um, it's just a very interesting dynamic that they have kind of brewing there. And, I mean, going back to their initial investment, just kind of – I'm still kind of shocked 
that they did that for Trey Lance, who I, I mean, I've always I've been, always been on record with thinking he was the fifth best quarterback out of that draft class. Right. I when people said kind of were like, oh my god, they're going to take Mac Jones, and they're freaking out, like they're going to make the biggest mistake ever. I was like, I kind of like Mac Jones. I think this would be a good fit for him, and I I honestly wish we would have got that pairing because I think that would have been a really good team. But you know, I just. I'm curious to see how this is going to end up. I think I think ultimately this entire situation, regardless of what happens with Jimmy G, if they get any draft capital from him or not, I think it's going to come back to kind of haunt them. And I think, you know, hopefully they prove me wrong, but I just, I'm not very confident in that team. And that's why I said, I want to talk about the 49ers because, you know, you said you had them what fourth in the NFC. Yeah. Which I think, I, I mean, like, I'm not going to say like, that's ridiculous. I just, I'm, I'm more bearish on the 49ers in general. I think the defense could have some issues. I would be concerned about cornerback specifically. And then again, that offense. We'll just we'll see what Trey Lance does, but I think he's going to I think he's going to have some issues this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it says very bad things about Trey Lance if Jimmy G is still on the roster, you know, in the regular season. Like aside from anything else, not even it's obviously bad in terms of how you said it where you don't want that guy hanging over his shoulder for the whole way but like if he's still there I think it just says that the 49ers don't think that highly of Trey Lance yet or at least think a lot less of him than they did when they traded three first round picks for him and having you know they're the ones that have seen him up close and personal for a year that's just not good for him I think Um, I I mean yeah the 49ers roster I think is generally it's worse than some other rosters around there but they make up for it in coaching and like the cornerback situation won't be worse than it was a year ago and they were a good team you know playoff caliber team then so i think they'll be in pretty good shape uh so we got a few emails in that i want to hit on uh let me see with the first one we had a guy who emailed in and wanted to talk about Wandale Robinson and the move that the Giants made in the draft, which so was a, a diehard. Yeah, which was a pick that was generally not received well, right? Yeah. It's like day one for the Giants, great. Came away with a couple of stars, perfect. Day two and beyond, things went off the rails. Um, and that started with the, the Wandale Robinson pick, which a lot of people thought was a reach. So this guy, uh, what's his name? Peter Kratzel. Uh, hey, Sam and Steve and Tresh. Enjoy your podcast very much and try not to miss a show, even when we're doing three a week. Uh, I had a question about Wondell Robinson. I'm a Giants fan. And everything I've read about him says that the Giants reached, including your own analysis. And some say reached badly. But I have a point I need some clarification on. I've read multiple places that his career grade in college um, was 91 plus, which placed him third among all wide receivers in the draft. I saw an earlier report that he can no longer find saying the grade was even higher than that which would have been the highest of any wide receiver in the draft. With such good grades, why are you guys so down on him succeeding in the NFL just because he has T-Rex arms, thanks, Sam, and isn't very tall? Uh, while I maybe have your attention, he wanted to ask me if I follow real, quote-unquote, football in Dublin and beyond, if he agrees, if I agree that the old firm Derby is the greatest and most intense rivalry in all of sport, you won't insult me by asking which side of the old firm I support. Uh, okay. You lost me at the end there. Soccer. So... The old firm derby is Celtic and Rangers, the Scottish, <laughs> largely sectarian uh, rivalry between two Glasgow clubs. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't agree that that's the greatest and most intense rivalry in all of sport, largely because it's Scottish football and therefore simply cannot be large enough to be the most intense and, and uh, greatest. Like fighting words. A little bit. Um, I do follow football, Liverpool fan, Ireland fan, sadly, we suck, um, et cetera. Good, good year for Liverpool. We're 
on track for an unprecedented quadruple, winning four different competitions, fell at the final hurdle in two of them and end up with a season that's like, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's good. It's not, you know, not what it could have been. Um, so anyway, the Wandale thing. I think the two numbers he's talking about are the difference between overall PFF grade and PFF receiving grade, but they're both above 90, whatever. The point being, the guy has really good grades. Why does everyone hate that pick? So it's kind of like, how did he get that grade? And that's where like I'm always, especially in college football, because, you know, with some of those offenses, it can be easy to get propped up and kind of have your hand held with your job. And with Wandell's case, I mean, started out at Nebraska where he was a hybrid player. Like he was a running back essentially for some games and he would split between being a running back in the backfield or out in the slot. But he, I mean, he was a gadget player. Like he wasn't doing a lot to get the ball in his hands. He was just kind of outdoing lesser athletes on the defense after the catch. And that's where it also gets into, like if we want to get deeper about it, like why running backs matter at the collegiate level and why running the ball can be highly effective for your team. It's just because if you have a difference maker at running back against lesser athletes, I mean, you're, you're going to win, right? right? You can have efficient um, run plays. But with Juan Dale's case, I mean, it was just a lot of schemed production that he took advantage of against lesser competition, in my opinion. Then he went to Kentucky, of course. He did a good job there, had a high PFF grade. Um, He wanted to move from Nebraska to Kentucky to play in a pro-style offense um, for Liam Cohn, um, the offense coordinator there at the time. And, you know, I think he did succeed in that. But, again, it was still a lot of schemed production. And I think when you're going up the NFL level, I think the size is going to be an issue, even in the slot. I think that's going to be a big issue there. Um, so for me, like I've always been a big Wandale fan, but in college football. And the NFL is a, from a prospect perspective. I was absolutely shocked that he was a top 50 pick. And for me, looking at what was going on at the time, it almost makes me think that they panicked into that because of everything going on with Kadarius Toney. And they were kind of concerned that they didn't have that, you know, that, you know, gimmicky weapon that they could just get the ball in the hands. And maybe he can go out there and make a play. So that's where I'm at. I just think what, with what he did in college, he can't do at the NFL level. Yeah, I, I think one of the problems is, so you talked about it there, like athletes can thrive at the college level in a way you can't in the NFL, right? Because I forget, who, I think it was, who was I listening to talk about this? It might have been Greg Olson, or I might be attributing this to him when it was somebody else. But they were talking about the difference between the college level and the NFL level is, you know, in, in college, there's a lot of guys playing that aren't great athletes, right? No matter yeah. who you're playing. You can play a great college team. Even in the SEC. Right. And, okay, outside of Georgia last year, yeah. like three or four guys are getting drafted. Three or four guys are going to be good NFL players. Everybody else, this is their last game, right? They're working a different job two years' time. They're not – this is not where they're going. And they're not as good an athlete, right? So if you're a high-level athlete, you can beat up on bad players in pretty much every game you're going up against. You can find the mismatch. In the NFL, everybody's a good athlete. Like, there's almost nobody playing on Sundays that isn't a stupidly high-level athlete. And if they are, they're, they make up for it with something else. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they make up for it with being smarter or ahead of you mentally and all those kinds of things. So you can have guys that dominate in college simply by being better athletes. It's like a sort of souped-up version of high school where you can like you can be the best high school player ever literally just by doing that. Like, I'm just a better athlete than you. I'm going to rack up 3,000 yards this year, and you can't stop it. Um, in the NFL, that doesn't work. So you're immediately looking, well, what are the transferable traits? Like, is he just surviving by being an athlete, or can this work in a real offense? 
So I think a big part of the Wandell thing is it is that scheme, schemed up uh, plays. It's uh, surviving on being a, a weird athlete that's, that's better than a lot of other people. And it doesn't immediately lend itself to like, okay, this is the role in the NFL. And the second part of that is the NFL, I think, is very bad at scheming production up for people, partly because of the stuff we just talked about, that like everybody is a freak athlete. You can't just like fire in the ball in a bubble screen and expect them to run through the entire defense because they're all good. Um, but it means that you get these guys in college that are like gimmick players or have a gimmick role within an offense, and that role just isn't there in the NFL. It's why like Tavon Austin isn't good at the NFL level because the, the things that he was great at in college – they don't. They're not a big thing in the NFL. Like you can't just give him a million jet sweeps. Like yeah. they're not going to work, right? You might get one of them that he breaks off every now and again, but it, you can't run enough of those to the point where an NFL defense doesn't understand what you're doing, clamp down on it, and there's nowhere for him to go. And if he can't like run real routes and thrive on the outside, or even as a like true slot receiver, he's just not going to be good. So I think that's the concern with Wandale. Is like he was that type of player in college. And given his size and the the way that the NFL works, it's like, does that work at the next level? I there's not a huge amount of history of it. Yeah, and like I'm sure like some people listening right now are thinking like, well, oh, what about Debo Samuel? Right, everybody knows him as this gimmicky guy. It's like, no, he still is. He's like an outside receiver. He's like the third most productive wide receiver on the outside last year. Runs like sixty percent of his routes from that alignment. He's he wins as a wide receiver too, and then as a running back. Yeah. Like he's basically he's he's a hybrid player because he's doing two conventional things at the same time, which is kind of the same as um, Cordero Patterson as well. Like he's become he became great last year as a real running back who just happened to be able to win as some wide as with some wide receiver stuff as well. They're not like manufacturing freak touches for them. It's not like. Debo or Patterson only became good when you gave them like wildcat touches, you know, and you had to invent like a weird package for them. Yeah. So like he's the prime case of why like every data point is not equal at all levels of football. And, you know, it's not even like NFL compared to college. Like I think it even boils down to even more in the collegiate level where we we know the FBS is like 131 FBS schools. But those need to be divided up because the difference in group of five and power five, right? Even that, like we talked about the difference in the power five, like some even in the SEC, I guess the NFL is pretty drastic. But the group of five to the power five, even some of those data points from those guys, you know, at those two different levels of football, they're vastly different because you're not finding the athletes in for, that are at the power five in the group of five at all, you know, unless they transferred out from the power five down for some reason. Um, and so that's why. For me, it's interesting. I mean, I've done a little bit looking into it why, like, even, like, we talked like the pass rush versus coverage thing. Like, it's different at the Power 5 level. Like, right. they're pretty equal. It's because why? You have Aiden Hutchinson's, you have Kayvon Thibodeau's, who are just monsters on, yeah, on the it's edge. It's so much more about what the athlete is. Yeah, and, and, like, athleticism just matters. And it's like, everybody was like, well, Kayvon's not necessarily polished. And I'll agree, like, last year he wasn't. I think he made some strides but like he still had like a 91 pass rush grade that's because he's a freak and he's just piecing a little bit together and that's where he can make that jump and you can be an absolute game wrecker game wrecker at the collegiate level if you're a freak like that so that's why it's interesting and you have to kind of look at i always say like pff grade it's a leading indicator why is it why is he earning this high pff grade and really look into why he is and wandale's case again just a great college player i just 
hopefully proves me wrong, but I, I just don't think that's going to sustain at the NFL level. The other concerning part is, like, you do have Kadarius Tony already there, right? Yeah. And people were sort of saying at the time, oh, they're going to trade him away. This is him gone. And even if it is, it means you're spending a pretty high premium pick to replace a guy that you drafted in the first round a year ago who hasn't, like, it's just bad process, like, top to bottom. So even if that was your justification, like, oh, well, we're going to get rid of this guy because he's an asshole and we, we screwed up last pick. It's just like, that doesn't feel like great process. And with Kadarius, too, like, I know, like, the big knock on him was easily, like, he's not a polished route runner. Right. You know, he's just very raw. But I think we've seen enough growth. It's like the Christian Watson thing I was talking about. Like, he, we he, saw some growth there where we're, like, we're confident he can be more than just that yeah, absolutely. schemed up guy. In the NFL and, in, I mean, in college, yeah. his tape was exactly what you described with Watson, where, like, you could see from the start to the end, it's a different player. Yeah. Like his development over the year, even if you're just watching his targets, like you could see him get better at running routes as that season went on, which I think is massively encouraging to like what he can be going forward. Um, all right, gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life. Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile, Trash. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and he giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless winning machine and when he unzips his pants he sees platinum i was wondering where you're going with this that's it that's right manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet the platinum package 4.0 manscaped is a leader in below the waist grooming now trust them with the whole shebang join four million men worldwide who trust manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off with free shipping with the promo code pff manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use PFF. It's time that you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a Platinum Package for your Platinum Package. I, I'm not going to lie. I love the, the ball deodorant. Yeah. Big uh, ball deodorant guy? I'm a big ball deodorant guy. <laughs> I was very cautious. I opened up the, the package, and I was like, am I going to use this? And then I was like, this is actually pretty good. They're on to something here. I mean, so. look, what's the harm? You, you know, it, yeah. it's going to smell better than it did before, and that can't Ex be a bad thing. Exactly, and it smells awesome. So right. everybody, try out the ball deodorant. I will, 10 out of 10, I'll give them a review on that there one. There you go. Anthony Tresh endorsed ball deodorant. That's what we're talking about here. All right, what else we got in the old email pack? Um, we got a lengthy email from, who's this from? From somebody whose name I've left off the email. Uh, I'll find that in a second. But he was essentially um, talking the, about our, the comments we've made before about Miami's offense when breaking down their roster. And my point with Steve has essentially been, look, the, on paper, the combination of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle looks amazing, right? Two of the most exciting playmakers in the NFL. Tyreek Hill and like the closest Tyreek Hill analog the league has in the same offense. But given Mike McCarthy's, or Mike McCarthy, Mike McDaniel's offense, um, you know, 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, given the sort of history they've had and just the way NFL offenses work, I don't know if you can put those two together and get like the sum of both players at the same time. I think you sort of, you lose something because only one guy can kind of dominate at this at the same time you know you don't get like it's not a force multiplier the way it is when you add like an elite wide receiver to an average group you know they make everybody better because they take all the attention away I think you kind of lose something by having both of them in the offense at the same time pending being proved otherwise right by this year uh so this guy essentially said 
not only do I think that Miami will not have the problem of getting both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle the ball, but I also think those two together have the potential to be an explosive cheat code and bring about a new version of the Shanahan system that may be even harder to stop. Reasons for thinking this way are as follows. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle have skill sets that I think will be uniquely hard for defensive coordinators to scheme against. They might legitimately be the fastest receiver tandem in NFL history. Hill draws a lot of attention and coverage because of his ability to create a touchdown from just a little bit of space, and Jalen Waddle is the closest thing to him in the league. I think the attention that they need to receive on every single play will make stopping both of them together extremely difficult. In other words, they will act as force multipliers. Hill and Waddle's skill sets are better equipped to attack all areas of the field. On any given play, either of them could run by the defense for a big game, or just the threat of this alone should open up the underneath opportunities for whichever one isn't running deep. This is different than Shanahan's 49ers offense because both of his stars, Debo and Kittle, are best equipped to attack the short and intermediate areas of the field, neither being a big threat to hurt the defense deep downfield. This means that Debo and Kittle are forced to share targets in the same area of the field, whereas Hill and Waddle can both take targets from anywhere. For example, in Miami's offense, Jalen Waddle could take the Debo role, while Tyreek Hill would be a supercharged version of the deep threat that Emmanuel Sanders played during their Super Bowl year. Uh, and then lastly, wide zone offense has been able to support multiple star pass catchers before the Rams and Bengals last year, as well as the Vikings when they had Thielen and Diggs. To wrap it up, I'd love to hear if this makes Sam rethink any of his takes on Miami's offense, as well as your thoughts on Tyree Kill and Waddle being the most unguardable duo in the league. What do you think? I agree with some of that. It's so I think with what they have there. So hang on, let me start with Tyree Kill. Because last year, he wasn't like what everybody thinks Tyreek Hill is. I mean, everybody knew, knew him as a deep threat. One of the, you know, take the top off the defense. I mean, he could, you know, rack up those deep receiving yards. I mean, he actually leads the league in deep receiving yards, touchdowns, and catches since 2017. Still does. But last year, he wasn't a deep threat. He was a possession receiver, right? I mean, I think that's where kind of he was a little bit disgruntled. And I think we even got some, I don't know exactly, I think it was from his agent, about why like he didn't get used the way he should have but Tyreek Hill still thrived in the role I I think if Tyreek Hill was a normal sized NFL wide receiver we'd be talking about him being like one of the best all-around receivers in the game he just doesn't have the size factor um but yeah he can do it all so I think with what he can do is a little bit more than what Jalen Waddle can do because right now as far as I think Jalen Waddle is could possibly be that all-around polished player but I think right now given what we saw last year, I think he's just more of that kind of that schemed guy that can, he d- takes those underneath touches, but also can, you know, blow deep, but they didn't utilize him deep last right. year. Um, that email, by the way, was from Ben Yetzko. Ben just found his name. I, I think it was a good email. I, I think with what they can do, it's hard telling what their plan is. I think they're going to do a lot of, it's going to be a lot of trickery. I mean, I, I think we all can assume that just with what they have there and those two playmakers, but I think we're going to see Tyreek Hill kind of take on more of that do-it-all type of role, and then Jalen Waddle's going to get utilized deep a little bit more. And I guess it kind of goes back to the quarterback position. Can Tua fully take advantage of what he has at yeah. his disposal? To me, the most compelling point that he made is the idea that they can both work all areas of the field in a way that Kittle and Debo, for example, couldn't necessarily. So I think that actually is a fair point that, hey, look, We've seen already with Tyreek Hill that he can be, you know, the designated deep threat, that he can be the high volume guy, the possession guy. He can do everything. I think Waddle has that as well, even if they haven't tapped into it yet. I think he can be that guy. And even if he can't, 
he's already shown that he can dominate the underneath stuff, so you only need Tyreek Hill to be able to be the D threat, which he is, right? So I think there's definitely I think it's fair to say that they can share targets in a way that Kittle and Debo couldn't necessarily do in San Francisco in what might ostensibly be the same offense. Um the point that they you know, they're both incredible players and it's just difficult to allocate that kind of coverage to two guys at the same time, I don't think really works because, you know, we've seen teams do that to other teams. Like, the Giants did it. The Giants don't have a good defense. They did it to take away Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, right? They literally, essentially bracket-covered both guys on every play and just said, go anywhere else with the ball, right? Just, it's not going to these two guys. We are going to double-team them, and everyone else is essentially in one-on-one coverage with no safety help. Find somebody else. And the Chiefs weren't really able to do that. So I think you can definitely take both guys away at the same time. That's not the reason I think it'll it'll be it'll work. Um, but I do think that's a reasonable point that they can both work all areas of the field, which might be enough to get like the the sum of their parts working. Right, and you know, I, and I think that it goes back again to the larger question: Can Tua take advantage of it? Yeah, and it's just kind of like. If you go back to that San Francisco team and it's like, well, if Kittle and Devo hypothetically could do the stuff that like Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill could do, would they could they have done that? Because did they have the quarterback to do that? That that was kind of the big knock there. And I think that just kind of you know, that's the big question still in Miami is can Tua fully take advantage of it? And I think the slander has gone a little bit <laughs> too far. I'm not a part of Tua non, but I, I think mm. it's gone a little too far. Um but again, it's just like, I don't know. Nobody knows if he can be That's that elite thing. talent that can it's fully not... take advantage consistently of those downfield weapons. Maybe they can make something work. Um, but I think that is always going to be, that could end up being like the big limitation as to why, you know, they're a good team, but they're not a great team or a contending team. To me, any analysis of Tua has to begin with the starting point of his situation has been so bad that it's, basically impossible to tell what he is right yeah like it's difficult to overstate just how bad that offensive line was last year right Cincinnati last year had a terrible offensive line agreed Cincinnati's offensive line gave up less pressures than Miami if you include their Super Bowl run right if you give them the extra games all the way through to the Super Bowl they still allowed like seven or eight less pressures than Miami did all season long despite them running a ton of RPOs and Tua getting the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. Like, they were actually protecting the offensive line and still gave up more pressure than the Bengals, who had a bad offensive line, going all the way to the Super Bowl. Like, it was historically terrible. So, and we know that there is, like, a a line beyond which if you're getting that volume of pressure, you basically have no shot of functioning as a quarterback. Tua was over that line, right? So whatever you think of Tua and how what he can be at the next level, you have to begin with the idea of we haven't really seen a fair version of him yet. This year should be. Like, this year should actually be a functional, reasonable analysis of Tua. But, like, wherever you are right now, if it isn't, if, you're in, if your evaluation is not starting with, like, we really haven't seen, it's wrong. Like, you can't just come out and say the guy stinks because he's got a noodle for an arm. I'm out. Or he's made too many mistakes. Like, yeah, but he was getting buried under pressure. Like, of course he made mistakes. Their upgrade at left tackle might be the biggest upgrade in NFL history year over year at left tackle. Yeah, I mean, I mean they, certainly one of them. Like, that left tackle spot in Miami over the last few years has been the worst in the NFL by a country mile. And now they just got, I think, probably the most technically sound tackle in the NFL with Teron Armstead. Now, can Teron stay healthy? Right. That's the big question there. And if he can, 
that's obviously going to help Tua out a ton. So, um, I mean, even if he can't, you're like, it's kind of like remember the last ends or the last years of Jason Peters, where you sort of like, I mean, if we budget in two or three games where he's not going to play, right? It's still better than like putting some schlub out oh, there yeah. for 16 games. I mean, Jason Peters, 17 games. Jason Peters last year was like good, right? He was but season. like, but so for Miami, right? If even if Teron Armstead misses three games, right, which would probably be about average for what he's missing these days. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, still a massive upgrade. Now, now you have three games where you're having a terrible left tackle. Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, going going full circle up to the top, I would be surprised if we see a scenario where, like, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle cannot coexist. Like, I th- Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, even I, I don't, look, I don't think that there's, they won't function together. I'm just saying that, like, I think the, I think the sum of Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill is probably less than the sum of the two on paper. Does that make sense? Like, how they, how they work as a combination is probably worse than if you had them sort of both individually in the same offense and added that up. Do you, does that make sense? I mean, I, I don't I, care if you agree yet. Just is that, am I articulating I well of, enough what I mean? Kind of. That I, I think, see what you mean. You know, that idea of like, it's greater than the sum of their parts. You hear yeah, that a lot. Yeah. I think they're worse than the sum of their parts. It's an interesting idea. I don't know. You're fascinating <laughs> me. <laughs> We're getting deep. Yeah. I mean, look, I just think that because of the way I think, I, I don't know that, that offense has demonstrated the ability necessarily to maximize two players like that in a way that they both get like 100% of their production. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a fair assumption, but it doesn't, I, like, it doesn't mean they can't exist. No, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. even if it's, even if it's 80% of like the sum of the parts, it's still insane. Like, it's still really good. Yeah. Like, we're probably not going to see. Tyreek Hill put up the numbers last year. Like, I think if you look at some of the rates of just, like, target conversion into, like, resulting in first downs and touchdowns, he's one of the highest in the NFL. Right. You know, that's why I call him a possession receiver. Um, I also think know. it's going to be fascinating to see if teams treat Miami the way they treated Kansas City last year, which is say, we're going to play too high the whole time, and we're not going to give you the 70-yard Tyreek Hill touchdown. Like, I, you're going to have to earn it. I think Mike McDaniel would welcome that. I think he would as well. I think they would be a lot better at actually yeah. taking advantage of that. But For sure. Yeah, because yeah, I don't think... I don't think picking a part downfield is going to be that offense. Like, that's not where they're going to live right. and die. But the alternative is, right, you go the other way and you load up to stop all the Mike McDaniel stuff and all of a sudden Tyree kills one-on-one on the outside all game. And that even with Tua's noodle lets a touchdown waiting to happen any given moment. That's why, I, that's why I think, like, even if Tua's not anything special, and again, we don't know what this offense is going to be. We don't know what Tua is. We don't even know what this offense is going to be. We haven't seen Mike McDaniel as a head coach. Right. We, can, we have good idea of what we're going to see just given his previous stops and just the coaching tree he's been in but we don't know the nfl doesn't know and that kind of adds that intrigue to it you know that's going to be to their advantage and i think with those type of guys they can kind of do that there so i don't know i think they can be better than some people are expecting even if tua isn't you know breaking out to elite levels like i'm not expecting him to take like a josh allen-esque leap they're different players but you know what i'm talking about just like as far as the growth goes um in that third year i don't think we're going to see that but if he can get to a serviceable good level to the point where we can say okay two was a starter where he's mid-tier but in any given year he can produce at that top 10 level in the right situation then i mean this is probably going to be a really good football team um i want to finish this off by talking a little bit about running backs but first you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use the promo code NFLPOD. It's the best way right now that you can support the PFF NFL podcast. Go and give us credit for the subscriptions that you're signing up for. 
Um, what do you get with a PFF subscription? We get all of PFF's locked article content. You get fantasy football rankings and projections. You get data and grades for the entire 2021 season, the upcoming 2022 season, and all the archives back to 2006 for the NFL. Um, and much, much more. We've got a ton of really cool stuff on the horizon that they're working on behind the scenes. Now is the time to get in. You get um, the college football preview magazine that you've been working hard on. You get the draft previews, everything we, we do in terms of that stuff. So sign up right now. Use the promo code NFLPOD, and you get 25% off any subscription, and we get some credit. So it's win win for everybody. Um, so this is the PFF NFL podcast. We don't talk about running backs. Because running backs don't matter, apparently, right? So it's a running back hate zone, generally. But, you know, you bring something different to the table. You haven't been uh, corrupted by the hate for running backs. So I want to talk a little bit about... So and you, want, you want to bring me into that? Like, I've never, I've never had to hate on running backs. I'm not, no, 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 like I'm I not, said, they you, matter. You but. can bring in... You can bring optimism to the table. I'm not, I'm not leading you one way or the other. It's hard to do. If you get corrupted, it's not on me. It's, it's your weakness. I'm just bringing you in as a, as a different voice, one that people don't hear very often. All right, let's talk running backs. So, yeah, I want to talk about some NFL running backs because all of a sudden you look around, you know, you get Derrick Henry returning, obviously, um, after the, the first injury of his career, first serious one. Nick Chubb dominating. Joe Mixon had a great season. Um, you know, Dalvin Cook is a phenomenal running back. We might get a healthy Christian McCaffrey back for the first time. Jonathan Taylor was a freak show last year. It's all of a sudden like a really rich period for in this era where like everything is going to committee right we've lost all these sort of bell cow running backs get 350 carries a year but all of a sudden there's like an absolute ton of amazing running backs in the nfl yeah and that's where it's like the whole how much value can they actually generate debate comes into play because you know if you talk like a lot of nfl players you ask them who the best player is and I think I actually saw a clip on this on social media. Like some of them said Jonathan Taylor, yeah, Indianapolis Colts running back, because you look at what he can do. It's so different from what other running backs do in the NFL that it elevates position. But it's also it's like how much more can they do above expectation? Yeah, there. And he does a good job at that. And I think you know him kind of getting to that level alongside Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb. I think that's where you can start to kind of get away from like you know they the Colts would be better off just signing an undrafted free agent like no yeah. Jonathan Taylor's obviously like better he's the best running back in the NFL in my opinion um but I do agree with the whole thing like if some of these guys are healthy like Chris McCaffrey comes back fully healthy and you see some of these guys up top that you all mentioned at their best I mean there is a slight edge to that but again it's also What's he playing in front of? Or who, who's playing in front of him? What's yeah. the offensive line like? And all these external factors, the play call, and all of that. It's like it's it's back to the it's the same story as everything, which is you actually need a little bit of nuance to make the point. And the sound bite of like running backs don't matter doesn't quite do it justice. And we probably haven't done it enough justice on this podcast. But Jonathan Taylor, I think, is a great example of like the truth, if you like, where. Obviously, the Colts had really good run blocking last year. And if you go through like all of Jonathan Taylor's biggest runs, they all have great blocking. There's a giant hole. He gets to hit the second level. And you're like, oh, anybody can make that play. But then when you look at what Jonathan Taylor does once he gets to the second level and like what he turns that run into. So like the most famous one is that play 
against the Patriots. You know, or it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a really well-blocked play up front. Jonathan Taylor gets through to the second level. Immediately, it's going to be like a seven-yard gain no matter what. Like you, me, any running back in the NFL gets a seven-yard gain out of that. And then he hits a cut that takes out two different players. Takes out uh, Dante Hightower, who makes a balls of it, frankly. But takes out him, takes out a safety, and then outruns a corner like 60 yards of the end zone. You're like, okay, whatever you think about the first seven yards, you know, what that offensive line is getting him, which is the most important, right? Because that's, that's sort of most of everybody's yardage in any given play is the, the amount that the blocking is going to get you. The difference between what Taylor does and what an average NFL running back does there is significant. And even if you assume that the average running back makes one guy miss, which is a pretty big assumption, even for Taylor, right? The dude broke like 60 tackles or something last year versus however many carries he had. So it's not one-to-one, right? You're not expecting a guy to break a tackle every carry. So even if you assume that like the average running back breaks the first tackle, well, he still broke. He still made a second guy miss and then outrun a corner for 60 yards. Most running backs are not making that happen. So when you look at the advanced metrics like rushing over expectation, Taylor was by far the best in the NFL. So like he's got great blocking and that's probably the most important thing but he's also maximizing the results of that blocking like nobody else. Yeah, I mean, I think his vision's the best in the league. And I remember that play because I remember that play vividly because I was watching that game with a bunch of Colts fans. My family are Colts fans. I'm from Indiana. I'm not a Colts fan. I'm not a fan of any team. But I watched it with a bunch of Colts fans. And I got an argument with my family because they were like, Jonathan Taylor's the best player in the NFL. And I was like, he, they're like, he should be the MVP. And I was like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. This run was great. But then they thought I was crazy, even though they, they asked my opinion on football, because I work in football. I know a lot about football. But they were just, they could not be get off, get off that whole idea that Jonathan Taylor was not the most valuable player in the NFL. And I think it's just the way he takes, it's not only, you know, kind of in, those inopportune times but when he does have good blocking he takes care of business better than anybody right i mean he he knows if everything's going according to plan he's going to exceed expectations more better than anybody else can you look at um you know our r&d department has put out a lot of great stuff on like perfectly blocked run plays i mean his stuff is off the charts good and i think that's where he kind of generates his value um but again there's just so much limitations to what he can do on a down for down basis on a carry for carry basis right and you know you look at those big plays and you can see like obviously he's a different breed he's the best at his craft but the craft is only so valuable to a team so that's where it all kind of goes back to so well now i think it gets more interesting for him because the colts offensive line is probably worse this year and probably the worst it's been for a while so all of a sudden, you're going to get a better idea of what Jonathan Taylor does with less than ideal blocking and how much can he offset that with the vision and with his ability to make a guy miss and you know take advantage of whatever is there, but whatever's there is worse than it was before. So instead of all these plays where he's getting like seven yards where he needs to do anything, now he's getting two. And it's like a different ball game because you've got less space to work. Like We're going to get a much more interesting look, I think, at Jonathan Taylor this year than we did last year when there was all that MVP talk and you know him rushing for 1,800 yards and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think, too, last year, it, the offensive line wasn't anything special at times. I mean, there were some injuries early on. You know, I think that's going to be a big piece of the puzzle of, you know, Quentin Nelson, too. Like, last year, he wasn't... I don't think Quentin Nelson was like Quentin Nelson, mm. right? As, as we knew him those first few years when he was on the field. If he can get back to 100%, I think that can kind of offset it. I think that, you know, 
the left tackle spot's obviously a little bit of a concern. They have Matt Pryor there. They drafted Bernhard Ryman. Um, but, you know, if they can get Quentin Nelson back to someone who I think would be – those first three years, I think, were he was on the track to be one of the best players we've ever really seen on along the offensive line, if he can get back to that level. That can be game-changing to the run game. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I still think, like, even if Jonathan Taylor's better than what he was last year, what's that going to do for Indianapolis? Right. So, Jonathan Taylor's your number one running back in the league. What is, yeah. What's the next sort of – what's your top five in terms of rankings? Mm, I like this. I like this a lot. Derrick Henry, number two. Okay. Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is one where, where in, in those inopportune times, he's going to step up, and he's going to – if somebody makes a mistake, it's not going to be, oh, the play's dead, you know. Yeah. He's, gonna, he's still going to go out there. He has a better chance to make a play than anybody. He's number three. Um, McCaffrey at four when healthy, just from a pure receiving impact. I mean, that's where the, the I mean, running backs really generate their value, obviously. Yeah. And I think Kamara for the same reasons at number five. That's the biggest, not flaw, but that's the biggest sort of thing that keeps Nick Chubb away from being like the number one back in the NFL, I think, is like just in terms of carries, he's every bit as good as Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor. But really isn't a factor as a receiver and if he was just like if he was just average you know as a receiving threat if he brought almost anything to the table you'd be like yeah Nick Chubb's the best running back in the NFL but he he doesn't see you always have to have him like "Eh, he's three he's three or four he's just behind those guys but he's really good and if all a running back did was carry the ball he'd be right up there um no Dalvin Cook in your top five yeah I was looking I was thinking and I was like I hate leaving Dalvin Cook and Aaron Jones off because they're both good, both great. Jones, I think at least you can sort of say, you know, he hasn't. Someone's going to fight with you about it. Yeah, and he's never sort of, he doesn't have the workload of some of the other guys. So you can you can kind of make the case of like, you know, is he as important as those other guys? Doesn't have the calves as A.J. Dillon too. It's true. Or the the, the thighs, the, the, the. Oh, yeah, thighs. Quads. Quads. Long Quadzilla. Day. Yeah, is he Quadzilla or is that was that Saquon? Saquon, Saquon was Quadzilla, what but was, AJ Dillon. He had another nickname that was similar. He's thick. AJ Dillon's thick. He's, he's a big dude. He is. I, yeah, big. big I kind of just want to have his legs for a day just to see. <laughs> like you, it's kind of like we were talking about it before with like Steve can't do some things because yeah. he's just such a large human. Like you you're gonna have to get like custom made pants and stuff. That's yeah. not fun. You don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could get them like let out and stuff. You can't just buy like jeans. Yeah. You got to get like, I don't know, not bell bottomed, but like bell middled. They've got to, I don't know. Yeah, You've you got to do something to those. You can't just put on like a pair of Levi's. But you could squat a small car and you could get yeah. some awesome. Yeah. Oh, and look, there's some, there's, there's a trade off. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's, there's some good and bad. I would definitely rather have them than not have them. I mean, it might be fun to, to like experience. I'm just not sure you want, you want that daily existence, you know, without the payoff. That's true. Well, he's getting a pretty good pay. Uh, no, true. But I'm just yeah, saying, you know, I don't, I generally speaking, don't want to have to like buy custom made clothes, you know, for anything, yeah. for any reason, right? Whatever the reason is, whether it's like monstrous quadzilla thighs, whether it's I've let myself go too much and I'm like too fat to fit in regular clothes, whether it's I'm Steve height and I have to go to the big freak store, whatever it is, right? I just want to be able to go into a thing, buy medium and, and roll out, right? Yeah. I was like that with uh, my head was like it's still really big but when i was a kid it was absurdly large and i remember just like getting i was like i just wanted like a it was snowing didn't have like a toboggan and was looking for one i just get a special made one and when i play like pop warner football 
they're like getting your helmets and it's like but this one doesn't fit I mean, we don't have anything we had to go to the high school shed get a high school helmet out i mean it's um yeah even my i was getting my hair cut the other day and my barber was like yeah i'm gonna cut your hair a certain way because your orbital bone is like sticking out. I, was like, I was like come on man i'm just i'm paying you to get my hair cut you're roasting me for my hair he does a good job Dude, but. Edit, editorializing from a barber is the worst like just cut the hair and shut up i don't need to be told about any anything on my head i, I don't need it yeah i don't need to hear my the barber's fact that there's no guy. hair anymore. My barber's Sammy at G. Salzano's. He's an awesome guy. You yeah. should go there. Other than ragging you for your I don't need to go to a barber much these days. It's yeah. Not, not I didn't right. want to say it. I didn't want to be mean. Oh, I mean, it's, you know. It's, it's a good look, though. It's not, like it's, it's not like it's a secret, you know? It's pretty yeah. difficult to hide at this point. You know, we're in this situation where there's got to be basically no hair. At least there is can, almost no hair. You can grow facial hair. That's true. That's one place I'm lacking. Anyway, what's your top five? <laughs> top five running back. My top five. Um, I think I'd still default to... Derrick Henry is number one. Uh, I think he's kind of earned that from the last few years, and one injury probably isn't going to knock him off that spot for me. I, Taylor probably is number two. Nick Chubb. I really want to put Nick Chubb up there with those guys, but I, because of the passing stuff, I can't. And actually, I would put Dalvin Cook ahead of Nick Chubb. Really? So Henry, Henry one, Jonathan Taylor two, Dalvin Cook number three, Nick Chubb number four, and then if I can get a healthy Christian McCaffrey, I'll give him number five. I think that's my I think that's my top five. And again, like just can't argue with it really. I think Dalvin is kinda high, but like Dude, Dalvin's so good. He is when you watch good. him, like the amount of stuff he makes out of nothing is insane. Um I, I really You've think You've been a Dalvin fan since the get go, right? Florida State days. Yeah, and I just think he's so underrated. Like when you I think his stock when he ran that like four four five or whatever, everyone's like, ah, he's maybe not great. It's like, dude, but just watch the yeah. tape. That guy's insane. And c- whatever, like, clearly he doesn't run like a four four five, right? Whatever game speed is versus tape speed or versus time speed, like Dalvin Cook is faster than his forty time was because that guy can run away from pretty much anybody. Um, Speak his little his brother James Cook. I think he's going to surprise some people this year. Same. I've been saying. So my point was, if we watch James Cook. He basically is 80% of Dalvin Cook at everything, right? Like, he's, he's kind of 80% the size. He's, like, maybe 80%. Like, he's just 80% of Dalvin Cook. But if you took 80% of Dalvin Cook and said, in any given draft class, what does that look like? It's probably, like, the best running back or, like, the top two, you know, running backs in, a, in any draft class mm-hmm. is 80% of Dalvin Cook. So if that's what he actually is, he's the best running back the Bills have and in a great offense probably looks really good. That's fair. And, like, I think I think from, like, a pure receiver perspective, like, his route running ability, I think he's surpassing. Right, that. and that's the point where, yeah, that's the one area where he might be actually as good, if not better, than Dalvin, which is where they want to integrate him in the first place. So it's, like, prime for him to look really good. Yep. Um, what about, what are some sort of sleeper running backs do you think might actually have good seasons this year? Mm, I mean, you just took, we just talked about him, James Cook. Um, James Cook's a good one. Uh, Definitely. Damian Pierce. Another rookie. Oh. Houston Texans. I think, you know, I was looking at the betting odds like right after the draft, like offensive rookie of the year. And I saw him, I think at the time he was 40 to 1. And I think he's well outside of that now because people bought on to it. I think he's going to be, again, like you mentioned from the top when we started talking about running backs, we're not seeing those bell cow rolls. Right. I think just given the nature of what Houston is right now, he could kind of get thrusted into that you know bell cow role and with his ability too like i don't think there's one area of his game where you're like "Mm, that's an issue we can't have him in like obvious passing situations 
he can hold his own in there. I, I think he's a all around runner. I think from a pass protecting ability, I think he's NFL ready. Um, he showed that at the senior bowl. I thought he was phenomenal in that regard. Um, as a receiver, he can do it. I mean, this past year, honestly, if he would have been like a bell cow for Florida, he probably could have been the first running back off the board because he was, if he could have sustained the level he was at, which was our right. highest graded running back in college football last year, he just had a hundred carries. So that's always a puzzling thing as to why they didn't give him enough run. But he's one to me where I think some people may still may be sleeping on him just because he is what was a fourth round pick. Um, I think he could exceed expectations. I think him and James Cook are two rookies and two running backs in general in the NFL that I would consider sleepers that could exceed expectations. It's very, it's sometimes really frustrating because guys, when you look at these sort of players and you think, oh, this guy's in a, um, a sort of great situation in terms of competition or like how good he is versus the people around him, you're like he could become, you know, something better than people projecting. They're almost invariably attached to a crappy offensive line, right? Like I think Khalil Herbert looked really good last year for the Bears. And like, okay, I, I like David Montgomery. I think he's a solid player, but like Herbert could surpass him pretty easily and become, you know, a really good player. But you're like, but Chicago's offensive line is garbage. So yeah. like, even if he does, he's not going to have a great season. That's when the running backs don't matter debate comes in. And I think the phrase, uh, I, obviously we've talked about it, has some issues with it, but... But it's kind of like That's it doesn't matter easy. who you put yeah. behind that line. The guy's not going to dominate. Exactly. Which was the Najee Harris point last year, right? Like Najee Harris ended up with a ton of yardage, right? But what do you have, like 3.9 yards per carry? Yeah. Because the Steelers' offensive line stinks. So it didn't matter if he was a first-round talent or not. Like, he's not going to fix your run game. And I'm concerned about that group, honestly, this year. I mean, we're kind of going off on a tangent. But last year's offensive line, just in general, from like a pass-protecting perspective, too. I mean, Big Ben was just yeah. getting rid of the ball as quickly as possible. I think that's a real concern for and them this year can he pick it it's also why i think Pickett doesn't start week one i think and if he does i mean i've never been a huge fan of Pickett all throughout the pre-draft process um but if he does start i think it could get a little ugly just with the nature of his play style which is yeah he's not a quick processor he's not getting the ball out it's quickly. it's very it's impossible to overstate how big a difference that would be going from roethlisberger who averaged 2.25 i think seconds to per throw last season to our per play which is the fastest in the NFL and the fastest by a pretty big chunk, right? Like a, about a tenth of a second faster than everybody else, which doesn't sound like much, but over, you know, a million plays, it's a lot. So he goes from the fastest to Kenny Pickett, who if he continued like the college, it was 3.2 or something in yeah. college, which usually gets longer when you go from college to the NFL. So he would go from the, fa- they would go from protecting for the fastest quarterback in the NFL to the slowest, probably by a distance. Almost a second. Yeah. Well, potentially longer than a second if he takes longer at the nfl level like that that's a huge difference in terms of pass blocking like particularly for a guy who i mean pickett's not a bad athlete but he's not like lamar or you know those guys that have those long average yeah he's not like an absolute freak show who like is going to it's going to be three and a half seconds because he's running around like russell wilson right it's like no (laughs) it's gonna be three and a half seconds and for two and a half of those seconds he's going to be running for his life like it's not going to be good so that, that, to me, could be a real problem. I mean, they've tinkered with the offensive line, bringing in guys like James Daniels can't hurt, but that that could be like a real shock to the system for that offense. Um, all right, Tresh, this has been a pleasure, sir. Where can people find you? Um, Twitter, I guess, at PFF underscore Anthony. Not going to give out my address, but no, I you can do find that. me on yeah. Twitter. I mean, you know, you never know. People might send you some stuff. Somebody sent me a hat recently. Another one? Just for be- no, just that one. Just that for one? being bald. 
They send yeah. me a hat. So, you know, we've yeah, got some nice No one can send me a hat because, I mean, unless it's like one of those with like a big... A free cat. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. <laughs> and in the show, I'm positive. No, but no, on Twitter, at BFF underscore Anthony. This okay. was fun. Yeah, it's Thank been you. awesome. Thanks so much for doing this. We, uh, we needed a Steve stand-in. And, you know, you're not, you're not bringing the same size to the table in terms of height and, and you know, weight. But you, I think you filled in well. I think you've done a good job. Maybe, I don't know if you've Wally pipped him, but definitely been a good addition to the show. Thank you. Welcome. Anytime. So anyway, hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, Steve will be back next week. Steve will, or next show. Steve will be back on Thursday. I'll be out of here. And then we'll both be back reunited, I believe, next Monday. So keep sending us in emails, NFL podcast at PFF.com. Hit us up on Twitter and send us in your bets for uh, things that we've got completely wrong. Things that Tresh was wrong about. Send us on all the emails. We love hearing from you. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Talk to you next time.